0: Hey guys, it's Gabby. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share some really exciting news with you. We're launching the Corporate Quitter Club. Not only will this community connect you with people just like you who wanna build a business or explore side hustles, but you'll get the opportunity to attend live webinars, learn from experts and entrepreneurs who've quote unquote made it and get exclusive access to masterclasses, workbooks, materials, and corporate quitter merchandise. So the question is... Are you ready to make 2021 the last year you clock into your nine to five? Visit corporatequitter.com forward slash community to get on the wait list. Hope to see you there. You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello. Today's guest I'm very excited about. Her name is Tarsh Peterser. She is an internationally certified and award-nominated confidence and clarity coach. She predominantly works with busy and ambitious humans to help them move through self-doubt and overwhelm so they can get more confidence, clarity, and energy to thrive in life. And I know for a lot of the people that I'm connected to right now, they're kind of switching industries and they lack that confidence and clarity. So I'm so, so grateful that you could be on here.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk with you and to share what I can with your audience.
0: Yeah. So can you kind of get into your story a bit? I know you were in HR and you kind of stumbled into doing coaching, but can you kind of get the full backstory of how you came to be a coach? Yeah,
1: sure. So I did the classic, went to university, studied human resources and strategic management and did, you know, what you should do and, you know, the traditional path of what security and safety is. So yeah, I studied HR and then went into that as my career. And that was over 10 years ago. And I loved it and learned so much being in that HR space and HR is predominantly about people. I was in the employment relations space, so a bit more process driven, you know, definitely sat in that like hiring, firing part of, of HR. But ultimately, you know, I was working with managers and employees to create better employee experiences and to help employees actually feel fulfilled at work and things like that. So worked in various organizations, public sector, big ministries in the government, worked in secondary public sector, private organizations. So I worked in a range of different industries. I got to my eighth year. I was working in a private HR consulting company and it just started feeling off. I didn't feel that I was being valued, being recognized. I was getting really sick of, you know, like kind of the internal politics of...
0: Oh my God, yeah.
1: Yeah, being in organizations and also just a lot of the disparity and the inequality, you know, I was getting paid a lot lower than people who had exactly the same experience as me, not even men, like women getting paid differently to me. And I was just like, oh, is this even really what I want to be doing? Do I feel acknowledged? Do I feel valued? But the part of my job that I always really loved was that coaching managers and coaching employees to actually figure out, like, what is at the core of what's actually going on and how can we move forward rather than, like, let's reprimand and let's discipline and that being the solution. It was interesting because at the time as well, I was in a relationship that I was really unfulfilled in, really unhappy, but in neither positions, I was actually making a choice. I was kind of just staying out of fear, staying because this is security and like, what happens if I leave? And like, will I ever find another job? And like, will I find love again? And, you know, all of those things that keep us stuck where we are. Funnily enough, I can look back and say funnily enough now, but uh, in 2015, I was made redundant and broken up within the space of four days, which was quite the life implosion at that time. And... You know, it was almost like the universe was saying, you're so unhappy, but you're not doing anything about it. So I'm just going to do this to you so that you can figure it out and move forward. It's not that I didn't know it was coming. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like when we look back at so many of these things, it's like, oh, there were signs, but I just wasn't willing to do anything with those signs. So when I was made redundant, it was handled very poorly considering it was an HR consulting company. The redundancy process wasn't handled very well. And I decided after that happened, I was never going to be permanently employed again. Because what is security if you can just be let go anyway? You know, because the whole worry about going out on your own is like, oh my gosh, but security of income and like, where's your money going to come from? And all those things. It's like, well, what does that actually even mean? This was six years ago. So looking at what the world is now, like that's even more solidified, right? Of what security really is with everything that happened in 2020. From there, I decided that I would go to fixed terms and I wasn't the type of person that could just jump off the cliff and be like, oh, I'm self-employed now. Like that just didn't work with my mindset. I have a very, I'm working on it, but I'm still very inclined to be very scarce focused of like worried about money. Where's the next money going to come from? So I decided that I wasn't going to be the person that was like, yeah, I'm quitting my job tomorrow and I'm going to go be self-employed, but actually create a plan that worked for me and supported me to feel secure and what that meant for me. I went into fixed terms. I focused on savings so that I would have my nest eggs so that when I went out on my own, I would have enough money in the bank that I didn't have to stress about trying to find clients and trying to find work. And at that time, I was actually going into HR consulting. I hadn't even decided that I was going to go full-time coaching until a year later, I met my current partner who was studying to be a coach. And I didn't really know that life coaching was a thing. I knew that coaching within the HR space was a thing he opened my eyes to this whole coaching industry of like, wow, I can actually like help people move from where they want to be to where they want to go. And they don't have to be in a corporate space or employed. You know, I didn't have to do it just through companies. Then a year after that, I studied to be a coach. So I got my certification and At the same time, I was still doing HR consulting. So I stuck with what I knew and what I felt comfortable with, which was HR consulting. I had a really great career in HR. I had an amazing network. I had lots of people to tap into. I used that in conjunction to build my coaching practice. And I was able to do a lot of coaching within the companies that I was consulting with. So it was like a beautiful mesh of the two. Yeah, that led me to where I am now. So I've had my coaching practice for just over two and a half years. And... I'm still doing bits and pieces of HR consulting work, but ultimately that's what brought me here. And now, my niche, and I guess what I focus on with individuals, is moving through that self doubt and overwhelm because, you know, self doubt keeps us stuck, right? Like that imposter syndrome I don't know enough, I'm not expert enough, so I'm just not going to do what I really want to do. But then also the overwhelm of like, well, how do I just get through day-to-day? You know, so many of the clients that I work with are just surviving, like just trying to get through another day, just trying to get through their workload, just trying to survive another day, you know, whether it's in corporate or whether it's, you know, in their business. The work that I do now is just like strip everything back, strip everything back to the basics and be like, well, who actually are you? And what is it that you want and then build from there? You know, if I look at my journey, I did what I should have done. I did what I was supposed to do. And, you know, it wasn't until eight to nine years later where I was like, is this actually what I want to do? I don't know. Which, I mean, like, I feel like our generation is probably, we're in that crisis point. You know, we're having that quarter-life crisis anywhere from, like, 25 to 35, I feel, is, like, the crux
0: of of that time. So, yeah, that's my
1: story. And that's what's brought me here today.
0: Yeah. I love that you, you know, used HR as the fueling point behind creating a coaching business because you've gotten firsthand what it's like in the actual workplace to hear people's like, I don't want to say sob stories, but like, yes, like what is actually happening in their lives? Like the things that are working, what's not working, and you're able to piece it together so that you actually know and can feel like what people are in the shoes of that you're coaching. So you can give them actual tangible tools to work with versus just saying like, oh yeah, I have experience. But like not that, that someone wouldn't, but again, you're like, you've been in the door and now you're outside the door to get both sides of it. Exactly.
1: And, you know, those were all the things that I experienced myself. And I think that's what a lot of life coaches end up doing is they're coaching the version of themselves three to four years ago, because that's what you know. And for me, it's like, why should people have to spend 10 years trying to figure that out when I can help them to do that within three to six months? You know, because it's not that I know what's going to work for everyone, but I know what prompts to ask. I know what kind of spaces to create, to actually bring out those answers. I know firsthand because that's everything that I experienced, but also that I heard from employees within the workplace. Absolutely.
0: So other than that experience of being able to pick up from the inside and the outside from an HR perspective, like what other transferable skills were really, really helpful that have basically helped you start your business?
1: So I think the, the number one is my relationship building skills. And I think often we... You know, if a lot of your listeners are high achievers, we focus very much on technical skills, like really like technical skills and those hard skills. But actually, when it comes to business, it really is more of the soft skills, like the relationship building skills. You don't have a business unless you have people, you know, and that's the same like in corporate space. It's the same in any context. But thinking about like starting a business, trying to make sales, trying to get clients, everything like that, it's all relationship first. You know, people need to have the know, like and trust factor, like the whole marketing thing. So that would probably be my number one is my ability to just connect with people, find out what is the problem, like what is it that they're actually dealing with. And often they'll come with a symptom, you know, like, oh, I just, I feel really overwhelmed. It's like, That's not actually the problem. That's the symptom of what we're experiencing. And so relationship building would absolutely be like my number one transferable skill because that's what I needed within my HR space. Like if I couldn't have relationships with people, I was a terrible HR person. That literally doesn't matter who you are or what role you do. There is an element of relationship building and management within that. The other skill I would say is problem solving. So actually being able to identify like what is the problem and how is what I offer going to solve that problem? That's like the whole how to figure out how to serve people as well, right? Like what is the problem that you are really interested in solving and what is your natural strength that's going to help you do that? For me, one of my natural strengths is relationship building. My natural strength is also empathy and holding space, you know, being able to hold space for people, being able to just genuinely listen and connect the dots, those would absolutely be my skills. And the thing with like building businesses, you can learn how to build a business. You can learn the technical side of like accounting and you can learn like marketing and you can learn how to create sales funnels and all of these other things. You can learn all those things, but it's those softer skills that are actually going to propel the business, which is your ability to actually relate to people and listen and being able to understand what's underneath what they're saying. And that applies to technical software businesses. It applies to physios. It applies to whatever. You know, it's the ability to actually see underneath it a bit more. So those, yeah, that's what I would say were my biggest skills. And I'm success coaching in another program at the moment. And it's so interesting because... They're all high achieving women, which is incredible. The ones that came up with relationship building as one of their key strengths, they felt really deflated by that. It's like, well, what am I going to do with relationship building? How's it actually going to make me any money? And it's like, that is literally the number one way that you make money. Because if I think about building my business, no one buys from me. Unless they have a relationship with me, been following me, they connect with me, they connect with my message, they connect with the value that I offer, they jump on a clarity call, they connect with my energy. That's a relationship. Every sale has a relationship behind it, no matter what you're selling. And so there's so much power in acknowledging those soft skills and not only focusing on the hard technical skills because you can learn those.
0: Yeah, and I love how you framed the transferable skills because I I talk to a lot of people who are currently at their nine to five and they want to leave, but they're kind of in the space of like, I have nothing to offer. And I'm kind of like, well, yes, you do. You just have to reframe it. And it's like what you just said about like, you don't have to be the person who knows how to trade on the Forex, like you know, on the stock market who can help other people. It could be the simplest things that actually helps people and that they can also offer to other people as well that you think is basic, but is actually not so basic.
1: Exactly. And I think that's a big part of imposter syndrome as well is that we undervalue what comes naturally. We undervalue what comes easy. Just because it's easy for you, it could be the hardest thing for someone else. You know, like I think about everything that I've worked on over the last five years with my mindset and with my practices and all of those things, like it feels second nature to me now and I can tap in and tap out of it so easily I've had moments where I'm like, there's no way I can charge for this, like, but I just know it, you know, whereas like, I'm talking to people who are literally just struggling to get through a 24 hour period because sitting down with themselves and being still isn't something that comes naturally. It's something that they absolutely cannot do. So they will invest in someone who be like, please support me and show me and guide me on how to do that. You know, such a big part of this is being able to believe in yourself of how much work did I do to get to this point? That's what we're selling. That's what we're pricing up. It's not the skill in and of itself. It's the time that we took to learn it, how we've developed it, and then how we can then package that to then support someone else to do that in a fraction of the time. My partner was in sales his whole career and he's in energy work now, but he sold software and he was great at his job, not because he was selling software. He was selling time. When he went to clients, he wasn't like, oh, buy this Microsoft Dynamics package. He was like, buy this package because you're going to get X amount of time back to be able to do XYZ with that time. He was selling that. He wasn't selling the package. The package was the mechanism to create the outcome that people actually want. And that's sometimes what we undervalue is we're focusing too much on the actual thing that we're trying to do rather than the transformation that we're actually trying to.
0: Yeah. The dream come true as they call it over here. A lot of people yeah. say like, you know, sell them on the dream come true, not the like. Not the logistics. Yeah. Don't sell them on the diet. Sell them on the like being the skinny hot chick at the beach type of thing. But. Exactly. Yeah maybe a bit of a curveball, but do you find with coaching sometimes it's equally strategy, equally like just being that vessel, that person to like hear someone? Because I find that sometimes when I talk to people, they just want someone to hear them out, to listen to them, talk through their thoughts. And you're just kind of there, as you say, which is one of your strengths of holding space. Is it like a flip-flop between the two? 100%. Coaching is about moving you from where you
1: are to where you want to go. Because a lot of people are like, well, what's the difference between like counseling and like therapy and coaching? And it's, there's so much power in counseling and psychologists. I've used them, absolutely. And the thing with that, though, is there's a lot of sitting or going back and trying to understand and rationalize and accept and come to terms with what's happened or, you know, getting an understanding of why you are where you are. And and that's all really powerful. Whereas coaching is about, okay, let's talk about those things. And then how do we move forward? We're not going to sit in that space for hours and hours and talk about it. It's, you know, I've actually got quite a few clients who see counselors and psychologists at the same time because it's like there's things that I know where my boundary is of where I'm equipped to sit. And that's really important if you're looking at working with a coach. It's like, do they know their own boundaries of where they start and where they end? But with coaching, it's about action, it's about accountability to move forward. You know, so when clients come to me, it's like, okay, let's understand why your mindset is the way that it is. And then go, okay, let's start rewiring it because this isn't where you want to be. That's why you've come here. You want to be here or you want to be this version of yourself. So let's move towards that. So absolutely, you know, there's the structure that sits behind it of okay, this is what your vision is three months from now of us working together. What are the actions that we're going to take to move there? And there's an element of me pushing them to come up with their own actions because I believe that everyone has the answers to their questions. Yeah, It's just hidden behind fear or doubt or... Worry that it's not the right decision, or and ultimately, that just comes down to a lack of connection with self you know, a lack of trusting our own voice, trusting our own gut because we're conditioned not to. That's what thrives all of these industries like clothing and cosmetics and dieting and all these things. It's they thrive off us not sitting with ourselves and going, Well, what is it that's actually right for me? So, that's the space that we create in coaching as well. It's there's absolutely the strategy. And the holding space and hearing out. But I'm interested in moving you forward, not keeping you where you are. Because you can do that on your own. Yeah.
0: (laughs) True. (laughs) You can keep yourself where you are on your own. (laughs) That's so funny. But I mean, it is true. So speaking on you being really skilled at this and, and having your connections and all that, how did you get your first clients? Was it tapping in that original network? Is it marketing, paid advertising? Like, how did you get the ball rolling? So...
1: No paid advertising. I've done paid advertising here and there, but I don't have like full Facebook ads or anything like that. Honestly, my first clients came from my personal network and workshops, like in-person workshop. And that's actually a strategy I've come back to again where I've I've stripped a lot of stuff out of my business now and I've just come back to a very simple strategy, uh, which was really expensive and great. But I just reached out to friends. Like I didn't coach really close friends because there's sometimes there's kind of a boundary that needs to be laid there. It's like, are you actually going to acknowledge me as a coach or are we just going to end up having friend chats in these sessions and not actually getting anywhere? For my first, as part of my certification, we do pro bono coaching. So that's just to practice your skill set. And through that, they then obviously talk to their friends and you kind of build that way. But my first paying client, actually, I look back now and 7 of those 10 women have turned into paying clients from that very first workshop that I ran. And that was a four hour workshop. It was very low investment and it was again, practicing my skills, but also people getting to see me in action, getting to connect with me at a very low cost and time investment as well. That's really where it started. And they ended up talking to their friends. And for the first year of my business, I ran, I think three or four in-person workshops and they were my biggest feeder for clients. And that's the strategy that I've now brought back into my business where I run one to two workshops a month and that's my lead generation, you know, and I partner with other companies. So like I'll partner either with an organization to run a workshop for their employees or like a yoga studio or something like that where my ideal clients are hanging out and tap into their community and tap into their network. So, you know, and I learned that from a coach, which I really value because like social media is great. It's important to add value but it's not always a fast result. Whereas like running an in-person workshop, they're connecting with you in that moment. And they're like, wow, I need more of this. Yeah, I want to work with it. And they've already spent that two hours with you. So they get you, they feel into you. You know, one of my clients that started a month ago, he was just like 30 minutes in, I knew I needed you in my life and I needed to work with you more than just this workshop. And that's what it is. It's that connection and that's relationship, right? Like that's the crux of relationship building. Yeah. So like, I think that's definitely what worries people. It's like, oh my gosh, where am I going to get my first work and my first clients? But it's like, it may not even be them, but they'll know someone who knows someone or they'll know someone who needs something. Like don't undervalue the people already in your life. I mean, I dealt with a huge bunch of imposter syndrome just with that of like, oh my God, just as like context, I mean, I'm a life and mindset coach now, but I was a huge booze hag when I was like in my early twenties. <laughs> right? Like, I had a lot of childhood trauma. I had a lot of you know childhood stuff that affected the decisions that I made with my late teens and my early twenties. I had a huge level of imposter syndrome of like, how can people look at me and be like, oh, she's got a life together now, so she's going to help other people when you know she spent like how long, you know, drinking her problems away and all those things. But then you kind of just need to step back into your own conviction of like, that's the story though, right? Like that's the story of what I've moved through. And you can apply that to anything. You know, again, instead of thinking, I don't know enough yet, or I need to learn more. It's like, you've learned so much to get to where you are. And there's someone who's waiting for that. There's someone who's waiting for that magic that they don't currently have. And that could be in your personal network or extended personal network, but start there.
0: Yeah it gets easier too. I've noticed like in the beginning, it was terrifying telling everyone I was going to do a podcast and like do all the things that I'm doing. But then like after a couple of weeks, like A, people know. But then the rest of it is like social proof, as they call it. Like you continually show people what you're doing and you're continually showing up you know, before they might have been like, oh shit, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's like, you said, like, oh, she has this whole story. Like, she could never be that. But now, after three weeks of you continually doing workshops and all this, they're like, oh, actually, you know what? People are coming and she's continually doing this. She must have something to offer. She must be good at what she does. Absolutely. And that's the no, like, and trust factor. And that's what social proof aids to. It's the no, like,
1: and trust factor of like, oh, she's actually doing it and people are actually getting something from it. Oh my gosh, they're actually getting results but you need to start to get that. And that's the part that people don't do. It's like,
0: oh, but I don't have all of these things. Like, yeah, but the only way you're going to get them is by doing the thing. Yeah. Can you get into that actually? Like, I know you talk about the self-doubt spiral. Like, how do you get to just do the damn thing if you're in self-doubt? How do you get out of that? Yeah,
1: sure. So the thing with self-doubt is like so much of it is sitting in that illogical fear, right? Of what if. Like, we're all addicted to the term what if, like, what if this happens or what if this doesn't happen? It's like, but that's actually not real. A lot of our fear is actually imaginative driven. It's in our imagination. It's not real. Danger is real, but fear is not. It's the story we tell ourselves about how we think things are going to go. And the majority of that is based on past evidence that isn't actually relevant now or based on other people's stories that aren't actually our own. The first to kind of think of like when that self-doubt comes up, it's kind of asking yourself, what am I afraid of? Because it's always coming from fear. Doubt and imposter syndrome, it's always coming from a place of fear. So what is it that I'm afraid of? And actually really going down and going deep and going like, what am I afraid of? And usually the things that we're afraid of is not being good enough and not belonging right? So like being disconnected from people, people judging us and throwing us out and, you know, cause we're tribal beings. Our primitive brain is still very strong. We need to fit in, we need to belong because that's what safety is. And also we don't want to leave the known, right? Which is the corporate job or the role that we're currently in or whatever it might be.
0: The relationship, like any exactly. of Exactly.
1: Yeah. We love the known, we love the comfortable. So the first thing I'd say is like, ask what we're really afraid of. Like, What are you afraid of happening? And then what's the worst case scenario? If that were to happen, then what? Like my partner does this to me all the time. And it's great that he's a coach, but also very annoying that he's a coach.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's like, come on, babe, let's work through this. And you're like, no, let me wallow a little bit. Like, let
1: me just be irrational. Like, let me be emotionally irrational. You know, and then he'll be like, well, then what? And he'll just keep asking that question and be like, then what? I'm like, but then this. And he's like, then what? And you just keep going until there's nothing left. What I found doing that is 99.9% of the time we're already living the worst case scenario. Ooh, damn. I mean, it's true. Right? Like think about, you know, starting a business. Like what if it fails? Then what? Oh, I'd have to get another job. What are you doing now? You're working a job. And I mean, the ego part of us is, it's the judgment. It's what will people think of me? It's But you know what? All of those people that are judging or things like that are people who aren't doing those things. You know, they're not in the arena as Bruno Brown talks about, right? Like they're not in there getting out on their face and, you know, getting dirty with it. They're in their little comfortable seat going like, oh, see, you know, it didn't work out. It's like, well, what have you done? What have you done, Karen? Nothing. <laughs> You're just still sitting there. And then, yeah, thinking about that worst case scenario and then mitigate it. You know, one of Tim Ferriss' big things, it's like mitigate your fears. Like he calls that fear planning you know, instead of like success planning is like fear planning. Like what are all of the things that you're terrified of happening, that you're scared of happening? Make plans for all of them so that if it actually does happen, you know exactly what you're going to do. Because again, it's the unknown that scares us. Like, well, if this happens, then I don't know what's going to happen. It's like, well, also when you get there, you'll know what the next step is. But again, it's that coming back to trusting yourself. And so entrepreneurship is self-development, the hardest kind of self-development that you'll do. Just being a business owner and going through that process. So I would recommend as much as you get business coaching and, you know, get business mentoring, also work on your own mindset, on your own limiting beliefs, on your own self-doubt spirals, because my self-doubt spirals may not be the same as yours. They all might be rooted in the same thing of not being good enough, but it's understanding like what are all of the things that have attributed to that and actually learning to become safe with things not working out with things failing you know there's an acronym that I love with fail which is first attempt in learning there is no failure it's just information it's just a first attempt at learning and then you get to choose again you know so yeah mitigate that so kind of creating your own fear plan like your own self-doubt plan of like okay well if all of these things just magically happened what would I do the other thing I would say is look at how far you've come we're very addicted to look at how far we still have to go I still don't know this and I still need to learn this and all of these other things And social media makes this even harder because we see people like, oh, six-figure businesses and seven-figure businesses like overnight and, you know, in like 12 months. It's just like that may happen, but actually spend more time looking at how far you've come and actually just being patient. And I would say that that's another skill that I've had to bring into my business is actually patience that it's going to work out for me when it works out for me based on the effort that i put in and the work that i put in i'm not so and so over there i don't have the same energy capacity as her i don't have the same whatever you know so it's kind of like learning to stay in your own lane and that comes back to connection with self the last thing that i would say is seek support from people who are where you want to go we seek support a lot from the people that we know like our parents or our friends but are they doing what you're trying to do no <laughs> not qualified and exactly you know and here's the thing they're only ever giving their opinion based on where they are or what they would do. And that's based on their own fears, that's based on their own experiences, that's based on their own mindset. So it's not an opinion that's actually going to serve you. It's more often than not going to come from a place of fear masked as coming from a place of love. Oh, I love you, so I think you shouldn't do this. If you loved me, you would push me to do it and then be there when I need you if it doesn't work out. Actually, that's what love is. Not, don't do it because I'm scared because I don't think it's going to work out. Well, I'm not you. So making sure that the support network you have are people that are actually where you want to go and are actually courageous in their own life. Like, are they making courageous moves? Are they, you know, following their dreams? And that's not to say that we need to, you know, cut out our friends and our family. You know, they're still there and they're important, but be discerning about who you talk about your dreams with be discerning about who you ask for advice from and make sure that it's people that are actually going to give you the advice that you need, not the advice that you want.
0: Yeah. I have found in business, I kind of like shoot myself in the foot when I end up talking about these things and my strategies and all this stuff with like my boyfriend, my friends, my family, my whoever it is, because they know me from like my old version of me. They don't know from future version of me and like where I currently am at. So, like, it's the same thing. They give me their two cents and then I get in my head and then I end up shutting down the momentum I have and derails me a bit. And I have to like pick myself up and get at myself down. It's like the whole process. Whereas if I just consulted or looked after people who were excelling in this space, if you replicate the same thing that they're doing, granted, again, like you said, like it could take year. It could take more than that. Like you have to tweak it based on your own, your business and who you are as a person. But generally speaking, if you go in that direction, it's going to somehow fall in line with what the same success, if you will.
1: Absolutely. You know, like action breeds action, right? Like when we're sitting here just talking about things, putting it in our little journal, manifesting, you know, it's like, that's all great and good, But action breeds action. You know, we need to just be in it. And that's the trial and error part as well, right? And I would say that that's another skill. It's like that growth mindset of there is no wrong decision that you can make. There is only ever information. Like there'll be some decisions that feel on point and great. There'll be some decisions that feel like, oh, it's working, but oh, I don't know. And there'll be some decisions that feel absolute trash and they're terrible and they had the worst result. But it doesn't mean that the decision was bad it just wasn't the decision that was needed at that time. And so you just take that information and you move forward and make the next decision. You know, it's this other thing that we, we have this terrifying like paralysis of making decisions because we don't want to make the wrong decision. We don't want to make a bad decision, but if we actually take away the meaning of that, because, anything only means anything because we put a meaning on it. Like that's it. Things in and of themselves don't have meanings. It's our stories that we put on it. So if we take away this black and white thinking of right and wrong a good or bad, it gives us freedom to be like, you know what, I'm just going to try it. And then I get to choose again. And then I get to choose again. And I get to choose again. It's again, it's like that growth mindset and opportunistic thinking. A lot of the mindset work that I do is like the survivor thinking and the creator thinking. It's staying in that creative mode of like every decision I make, I'm creating the next part of my life. Whereas if I make no decisions, I'm just staying stagnant and I'm just trying to survive.
0: Yeah, that's not a great place to be either. When you feel like you're just like trying to, you know, make it through the day, which I know a lot of your clients experience and a lot of people experience that. But um, it's not a, not a great place to be, and it's not ideal.
1: The thing is, is like so often like so often we don't actually know that that's what's happening because again, like the brain is so adaptive, right? Like its primary function is to survive. So it's going to adapt to its environment so that it uses the least amount of energy and so that it can just get through. It's just trying to survive, you know? And so we adapt to whatever environment we find ourselves in and whatever, you know, and this is where that's like you become the five people you spend the most time with because we adapt to people to be able to belong and fit in. And so more often than not, we don't actually know and realize the discomfort and the tension in life. And it's usually, and this is where social media can be really powerful because so many of my clients will be like, oh my God, I read that post that you put up last week and it just jolted everything. And that's why I'm reaching out to you because it's just like, sometimes it's just that one click of like, shit, my life is actually terrible and I do want to change it. But more often than not, we're just, going through the motions because we're so busy, you know, quote unquote, like we're just busy doing life and going through the next thing that we're not actually paying attention.
0: So now that you're talking about like busyness and all of these other things, can you kind of talk on what success means? Because I remember when I was in corporate, I thought if I was busy, that meant I was productive, which meant I was successful, which was a crock of shit. It meant nothing. So I mean, like, can you kind of get into how someone could determine what success is for them? And like, what does it feel like when it doesn't feel like success, like what does that feel like? Can you describe the two things? Yeah, perfect. So kind of when I talk about success
1: or when I work with my clients around success, I come from feeling first. When you actually tap into that question, like what does success feel like to me? Not what does success look like? Because we're conditioned to think about success as a look, right? Like the six-figure salary, the the high-end corporate job, you know, the nice car, the big house, whatever it is, the two and a half children. But when do we actually tap into like what does success feel like? So when you visualize your life, you know, when you just give yourself time to just daydream of like, you know, your your dream life, what does that feel like? What are the feelings that actually come up for you when you think about that? Because the thing is, is that we're emotional people. We think we're logical. Our brain tries to tell us that we're logical, but we're not. 90% of our decisions are actually made emotionally, if not more. And then we rationalize them. We then put logic on top of the emotional decision but thinking about like success and feeling so for me six years ago when I was in corporate success to me was the lifestyle block the big property you know the big house the nice car and the the figure salary but when I actually like thought about it, I'm like well what is it that I'm wanting those things to make me feel what is it that I want to feel from having those things and when I actually sat with that it's like I want to feel free that's what I want to feel. And those things are mechanisms or they they looked like they were things that were freeing, right? But then when I pulled that back, I'm like, okay, if, if what I actually want to feel, if success to me is feeling free in my life, I could have that in so many different ways, right? Like I think to my life now, I'm on my way to making a six-figure salary in my business, but we live in a small, in like a nice small house, you know, on a small piece of land, but we have no debt. We have lots of time, right? And we feel freer than we ever have and we have less than we ever have, right? So when we actually tap into the feeling of what success really is, we kind of leave it open to what does it have to look like? And instead, when we start to make decisions from that feeling, I tap into, okay, am I going to take on this contract? How much time is that going to take away from me? Yes, it might give me 80 grand over the period of the contract, but how much time is it going to ask of me to be able to make that 80 grand? And is that worth it to me? You know, and so then that's how I start making decisions. And you can kind of tap into that success feeling as well with your values. So like for me, one of my biggest values is financial stability and freedom. Everything that I come back to in terms of how I make decisions is from those feelings, you know, and then I also have a, a card game that I play with my clients that actually uses emotive words to create their success definition so it might be success to me is feeling spontaneous success to me is feeling brave success to me is feeling acknowledged so then thinking about those things I'm like okay so when you think about making the next career move or you think about you know buying a house or you think about this other decision does it align with those feelings that are really important to you because ultimately that's always what you want to feel So then is the thing that you're going for going to enhance that feeling or is it going to crush that feeling? That's what I believe we need to focus on in terms of success because we can chase all of the things, but is it going to help us feel the way that we want to feel? And this is the hedonic treadmill, right? Like we're going for the next thing in order to feel the next thing. But if we're not actually clear on what is the feeling that we really want, we're going to keep seeking because we're not coming from feeling first.
0: Yeah. With that being said too, is there like a prime example of when you can, like, maybe it's in your body or in your mindset where, let's say you're conditioned to think the success is the money, the cars, or whatever else, and you haven't done the mindset work, you're starting fresh. Like some of the people who are listening, they, like, this is a whole new train for them. Are there any telltale signs of they're able to pick up, okay, this is not success for me. This feeling feels cold. I don't, I don't know what it is, but maybe you can touch on that. Yep. So your body, so that's like, it's tapping into your body and
1: this is that practice of connecting with yourself. So before you make any rash decisions with life, like I would say, start with a connection practice. And, you know, I start with my clients with like just two minutes a day of actually just stillness and just like tapping into the body of like, what does the body actually feel like? So if you're making decisions that are really in tune with your your heart, you're making decisions that are really in tune with how you really want to feel, those decisions will feel really light. They'll feel really expansive. They'll feel really energizing. They'll feel simple more often than not they'll feel easy. there'll still be some decisions that are really good for you that will feel terrifying but it's that excitement feeling. and then the decisions that are really out of alignment with what it is that you really want even if you may not know what it is that you really want, you'll still be able to start to notice in your body because they'll feel really heavy they'll feel really constricting. like if you actually just tap into your chest like it'll feel like there's a knot there and your heart will be racing and you'll feel like you have that knot in your stomach. those are the ways that the body, speaks to us but again we're so busy that we're not actually paying attention to that we're just kind of going through the motions so for instance you can start to do this just in everyday life like go to work tomorrow you know for the listeners go to work tomorrow and just notice how you feel when you're at work every hour just tap in for like 20 seconds just be like how does my body feel right now if it's in that high state of like anxiousness and like not in the stomach chest feeling really heavy, there's a high chance that you're in an environment that isn't conducive to how you really want to feel. And then you can also tap into like, what am I thinking about right now? And that's kind of the mindset. That's how you step into that mindset work of like, well, what's the story that's going through my mind right now? What am I thinking about? And they're all connected. That's how you can start to notice. And then that can prompt the question of like, okay, if I feel like this, What's happening right now that's causing me to feel like this? It could be like the high workload. It could be the stress. It could be the people that you're working with. It could be this project that you're doing, whatever it might be. And then you go, okay, and how do I want to feel? So if this is how I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel like this. No one wants to feel like that day in, day out. How do I want to feel? And then, okay, if this is how I really want to feel, what is one small thing I can do to bring that into my day? And then that just starts the process of like, okay, it brings the process of awareness into, okay, what is it that I'm feeling day to day? Is this how I want to feel? If not, how do I actually want to feel? And that starts to bring in that clarity phase of just be more curious to what's actually happening in your day rather than, you know, you don't have to wait until you get to the end of the day when you're tired and exhausted to try and do all this, but just be a bit more curious throughout your day and just start asking yourself questions. I was working with a client yesterday who came to me because she wants to set boundaries and she wants to have better work-life balance. But then when we talk through it, I'm like, that's not the problem. That's going to be the band-aid that's going to help things. But what's actually the problem is you can't be still. Like you actually just can't be with yourself. And so putting boundaries in place like, yeah, that's going to solve some problems, but then you're just going to revert back to the same behavior because you actually aren't connected with who you are and what it is that you really need. So, yeah, just starting to be more curious and just start to ask some of those questions and honestly, it's it's not a flick the switch and everything changes, especially with mindset work like the majority of your life you've thought and felt this way and you've chosen the things that you've chosen. So it's going to take time to kind of pull it back and just ask a few more questions and then start to go okay, What's just something small I can do? And, you know, we underestimate small action. You know, we think we need to take really big courageous action and, you know, do all these big things where it's like the compounding effect of small actions, like what James Clear talks about, is more valuable than doing one thing once a month or one thing in your whole
0: life. So that's where I would say to start. That's great though. I think for a lot of people that they don't take the time to actually Feel their bodies and what's going on because they're so caught up in the motions. But I will say for a lot of people, you know, a lot of it is overwhelm, like they're not inspired, like they're in stagnation. But I want to touch on your tired to inspire method because I think for people who, whether they want to make a corporate exit or not, I think a telltale sign of like something's wrong is that you're freaking exhausted, like you don't want to be where you are, like you cannot keep your eyes open because like this sucks. Like I know it's okay. Can you get into like, your you know your methodology behind that
1: yeah absolutely it comes what i was just sharing before but in terms of like the the whole process is first i do a full stock take actually rating every area of your life rating scale of 1 to 10 you can't choose number 7 1 to 10 how does this area of your life feel and asking questions like okay why does it feel like that what's coming up that's causing this rating like what's missing what are you currently ignoring what are you What are you overcompensating for in maybe another area that's causing this? So, actually taking stock of like where life is, because that's this is the other thing that I find with a lot of my clients is like they know they want life to be different, but they don't actually know what life is like now because we have a negativity bias, right? Like we always pay more attention to the negative things because the negative things could be in danger. And so the brain's always looking out for them. But the thing is, is like there's a lot of things that are working. And this is where you can actually start to go, oh, well, like this is actually working really well. So maybe I could bring more of that in and then life will actually start to change. Yeah, the number one thing is like taking stock. Like where is life at now? Where are you not appreciating the things that are actually working really, really well? And where are you ignoring the things that aren't going really well that actually need more of the attention? And then the second thing that we step through then is identifying like who do you want to be now? So re-anchoring that identity. So our identity is who we believe we are often our identity has been programmed by who we think we should be it's been programmed by media it's been programmed by our parents it's been programmed by teachers it's been programmed by what we've seen with our friends what is it who is it that I actually want to be stripping all of that away so re-anchoring into that identity and creating the vision and this is where we tap into like how do you want your life to feel not how do you want your life to look? What are all the things that you want in your life? How do you actually want life to feel? And how do you want to feel within yourself as a person? And tapping into that feeling. Because again, you know, we're overwhelmed and we're exhausted and we're burnt out because we don't feel. We just do. And we're not being who we really want to be. You know, we're human beings, we're not human doings, like the famous, you know, cliche quote. But it's true, you know, we're in a society where we're just doing more and more and more. So once that identity and that vision is really, really clear, then I start to go into mindset. So mastering your mindset, stepping you out of that survivor mindset of just trying to get through another day into that creator mindset where you can truly thrive. So what's holding you back? What are the stories that you're playing into? And are they even your stories or are they your parents' stories? You know, what are all of the things that you believe about yourself or don't believe about yourself and rewiring them? And then something I also do within the mindset work is release attachments. We're very attached to things. We're very attached to people being certain way. We're very attached to, you need to be this way in order for me to feel this way. When we attach to things, we're at the mercy of that thing. Because if that thing doesn't go to plan, we crumble. Whereas like, actually, how can we just be in our own control and the only things that we can control are our thoughts feelings and actions so it's mastering the mindset and that of like what can I control and how do I create my life not I'm going to wait for all of these things to happen in order for my life to be good my life is good now and how can I create that now and then I step into self-worth so really anchoring into your self-worth and being in control of how you let people make you feel about yourself So helping people understand that they are innately worthy. Your worth doesn't come from your job. Your worth doesn't come from your relationship. Your worth doesn't come from how much money you have. Your ultimate worth is priceless and it's innate. It's there. It's fully there. It's just about being able to tap into that and being able to anchor into that as your own full power. And so, you know, it's acknowledging all of the ways that you are exceptional, all of the ways that you have gotten to where you are, all of the ways that you love who you are. So kind of really stepping into reimagining yourself rather than looking at other people and what they think of you and who you should be. The kind of last piece of that Tired to Inspired method is once those foundations are in place of you know who you are, you know how you want life to feel, you know what you're in control of, you're stepping in and rewiring your mindset by choosing the thoughts that you want to think, by choosing the way that you show up, then stepping into energy and boundary management. So actually putting in place boundaries with the people in your life that take too much you that you allow to take too much like having boundaries with work right like if you want to start a side hustle you need to have boundaries with work so that you have the energy to actually do what you're passionate about you know same thing within my business like i have boundaries with how many sessions i have a day so that i can manage my energy and so that i can enjoy the life that i'm trying to create but also in that energy management piece as well comes down to how are you using your energy day to day. you know so often i hear like i'm so tired i don't have time but we'll sit on social, we'll sit on Instagram for two hours a day and we'll watch Netflix for two hours a day and we'll eat junk food. And, you know, we'll hang out with people that just complain and gossip all the time. All of those things take energy. All of those things suck away energy that you could be reallocating to meditation practices or going for walks or moving your body or working on your side hustle, you know, So bringing awareness of like, what are you actually doing with your energy and then putting in place boundaries so that you're moving forward in the way that you want to move forward. Plus still enjoying your life. I'm not saying, you know, never watch Netflix. I still watch Netflix and I enjoy it. But I make intentional decisions that I'm choosing to watch Netflix now and it's not because I'm trying to avoid or escape something else. Yeah, and then kind of wrapping all of that up into making courageous decisions. And that's where the confidence piece comes up, right? Like confidence is built through action. It's not something that we just have. We practice confidence. We practice taking up space. We practice showing up, being seen, being heard. And we build that confidence through taking small daily action. It's not just one big thing. Um, you know, It's the small actions that we take. So it's that holistic process of just starting to ask yourself more questions. Fundamentally, that's just where I would say just begin. Ask more questions about your life rather than just, oh, this is what life is. But just, is this how I want it to be? am I happy? Is this who I really want to be spending all of my time with? And you don't have to make decisions straight away, but the more awareness that you bring to it, the more you'll start to notice what is working and what isn't working. And then you can um, slowly, you know, make moves to be able to change that.
0: Yeah. I really love how you make it like a full picture, like there are a lot of different components, but I think the order in which you present them to the clients and work them through things is also really important. It's laid out very, very nicely, just to say. But, and clearly, like, you really know what you're talking about because it's just, you speak very eloquently and like you have a lot of real life examples. And so, like, it makes sense why you're doing so well <laughs> because clearly you know what you're doing. But this has been awesome so far. The, Way that I like to wrap up each of my podcasts is I always like to lead with, you know, the final question of if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be?
1: Don't just do what you should do. Be curious about your life and just try more things. You know, don't just go to university because you think that you should or because your parents tell you to. Like, if you feel in your body, like, again, like, just pay attention, like, have your body guide you a bit more rather than your head. You know, let your heart guide over the mind. And, Your parents and teachers, they come from a very different era of life, right? For their parents, stability, security, working until you're 65 was the way that you survived. That was it. We live in a very different time. We have so much more available to us. There's so many different ways to use your skills, to use your passions, your enjoyments. There's There's so much more that you can do with purpose, which is how you want to serve the world and your strengths. Be more curious about that you can always go back to university if you want to, right? And I'm not saying that university is terrible. I did it and I appreciate it. It's not the only avenue. So don't just do what you should do, but be brave, you know, be brave to choose your own path. And I wish that I had done that earlier. And also I would say the other piece of advice is work through your limiting beliefs and your your mindset stuff earlier. I wish I had done that.
0: Yeah, same. I feel like I wallowed in my BS very early in my twenties that could have very much been avoided, but yeah. here we are. It's all part know. of the journey now. Totally. But, totally. Yeah. You know, wouldn't be where I am without it, but this has been so great um, for the listeners. If you want to learn more about Tarsh, you can go on corporatequitter.com. All of her information will be on there: social links, website, bio, all the things, you know, go ahead and go check that out. And thank you. Thank you so much for being on. This was awesome. Thank you. This was amazing. Thank you so much for holding space for me to share. And thank
1: you so much to everyone that listens. And if you do listen and get something away from it, tag me, share it on Instagram. And yeah, just let me know. It's always, it's always validating to get Thanks again. And even though you shouldn't look for it externally, it's still nice to get it. So. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Gabby. This has been amazing.
0: Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Make sure to check out corporatequitter.com for extended content and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things corporate quitter and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five. Follow our host Gabby on Instagram or TikTok at she likes